0: Of all the words that Paul used in his writings, I kind of wonder if grace might be one of those used the most. Uh, He was amazed that God would save him by his marvelous grace. And not just save him by his grace, but call him to be a minister, a servant, an apostle. And so this morning we look at Romans chapter 15. Verses 14 to 33, all of this is by the the grace of God. I want to read just a few verses, starting at verse 14 of Romans chapter 15. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore in Christ Jesus I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you are... A God of wonderful and marvelous grace. Thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace that is not of any of our doing, a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. We are called to serve you by your grace. And we are equipped by your grace as well. And so all the glory, all the praise O God goes to you today. For your goodness to us. We pray, Lord, that you would open now these words of Scripture to our hearts and minds today. Teach us, Lord, what you would want us to learn, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever prayed a prayer something like this? Lord, I am willing to do anything you want me to do except... And then you can... Fill in the blank. Ever prayed a prayer like that? Uh, Maybe you haven't prayed a prayer like that. Have you thought something like that before? Lord, I really want to serve you. I really want you to use me. But there are certain things that I just am not quite sure that I'd be able to do. I struggled with that. I can remember when I was going to college and wondering, you know, Lord, uh, what do you want for my life? And, And finally coming to the place when I was a sophomore in college, to really say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. No exceptions. And I have to say, that was somewhat of a little scary thing because when I was younger, my uh, congregational members, some of the older Finnish ladies, would ask me, are you going to be a puppy like your dad? That's not a dog. That's a pastor in Finn. Are you going to be a puppy like your dad? And my immediate answer was to say, no. (laughs) I thought, there's no way that I would ever be able to do that. And so we face that struggle sometimes. Lord, you know, I'm willing to do what you want me to do, but I'm just not sure about some things. Maybe someone else could do those things. Like be a pastor or be a missionary. Could there be anything worse, huh? That's kind of the impression you get. I could do anything, Lord, but just don't call me into to ministry. In this passage, Paul describes his ministry, his call to ministry. And Paul was a man that was not just saved by grace. Indeed, he was. When you think of him on the road to Damascus, on his way to gather more believers, to persecute them, Jesus met him in such a a dramatic, powerful way knocked him to the ground and, and, and literally transformed his life. Saved by grace. But Paul makes it clear here that God was the one who also called him by his grace. His unmerited favor gave him that privilege of serving Jesus. He puts it this way, verse 15, but I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to do what to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are four beautiful pictures he gives of ministry. And how the grace of God equips us to minister. And the first one we find in verse 16 is that of a priest. He says to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest. The gospel of God. Now the word minister in verse 16 surprised me when I looked at what actually is the word that is translated minister. When you see the word minister in the New Testament, quite often it's the word diaconia, from which we get our English word deacon. Okay, a deacon is a minister, a servant. And that's the word that I expected to find there. But it's not the word we find here. It's the word from which we get our English word liturgy. And it even sounds like the word liturgy. It's the Greek word liturgos, liturgy. And to me that's interesting because Paul is picturing his work as a missionary, as being that of a priest who is engaged in worship and he's offering sacrifices to God. Now, Paul knew the Old Testament very well, and he knew what the offerings were in the Old Testament. A lamb, or a turtle dove, or a pigeon, or grain, or whatever it was. But he here pictures his ministry as a priest, as offering not not an animal sacrifice, but he pictures it offering the Gentiles... Up to God as a sacrifice. Notice that. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying here? He is saying that at the heart of ministry is worship. He sees his calling to the Gentiles, proclaiming the gospel to them, and then presenting them to God as a fruit of that gospel as worship. Doesn't that put a little different light on what our ministry is? If we connect it with worship... That what I do for the Lord, the involvement that I have within the congregation, whatever ministry that I'm involved in, that that is indeed an expression of worship. Arkent Hughes says, Though he is involved in the dusty, mundane business of traveling the ancient world on foot, suffering from exposure, threats, beatings, and rejection, In his heart of hearts, he sees himself in priestly garb in the temple, lifting up the souls of men, which then ascend as a sweet-smelling fragrance to Christ. He says, fully apprehended and appreciated, this is a dazzling picture. Then he applies it to us. He says, if only we could see our service as such, our lives would be transformed. A pie baked for a neighbor becomes an offering to God. A child held and loved is a liturgy. An employee treated with dignity is a beatitude. The gospel shared is a song in heaven's court. A Sunday school class well taught a fragrance to God. So think of what you've been called to do. Think of the ministry that God has given to you. Some of it might be very mundane. Some of it might not seem to be the most exciting thing in the world. Some of it might be done in a way that nobody else even sees it. But what is it? It's worship. As a priest offering sacrifices in the temple, that's the picture that Paul gives. And that is the ministry of every believer. We believe, don't we not, in the priesthood... Of all believers, right? Everyone who knows Jesus Christ is a priest. That's what the scripture says, isn't it? First Peter chapter two verse five. You also as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what's your service? What's your area of ministry? See yourself as a priest. You are offering spiritual sacrifices to God. The second picture is that of a preacher. Verse 17, he says, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Illyricum, and here's the picture, I have fully preached, fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, when you read what Paul writes here about his ministry, it is really quite amazing. Think of the power of his ministry. The power of signs and Wonders. If you wonder what some of those are, you look at the book of Acts and you see the many miracles that God performed through him. Uh, Struck a man with blindness in Acts 13, I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, Chapter 14, he healed a lame man. Chapter 19, people were healed by touching the handkerchief or the apron of Paul. Talk about a sign and wonder. Chapter 20, he raised a man from the dead. You know how he died? Preaching too long. No, that's not it. It was a sermon, though. Paul was, yeah, maybe it was kind of long. Paul was preaching. Remember uh, Eutychus, this guy? Fell out the window and landed on the ground, and Paul went out there and raised him from the dead. So, if you want to apply that to your life, don't fall asleep during the sermon. It could be deadly, and I won't be able to raise you to life. So, Okay, so think of that. What were these miracles? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12:12 12, 12, that they were the signs of a true apostle. I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. The apostles were foundational to the ministry of the church, but these signs and wonders authenticated the message that Paul proclaimed, proving that this indeed was the word of God. Amazing power in his ministry. Think of the scope of his ministry. When I read verse 19, did you immediately say, yeah, I know what that means, from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum. Anybody know where Illyricum is? You didn't study geography very well, did you? I didn't either know where it was. Uh, John MacArthur says, from Jerusalem in the far southeast, Paul traveled through Asia Minor, Macedonia, Greece and even to Illyricum, the region roughly corresponding to the former Eastern European country of Yugoslavia. Now, that's 1400 miles. Picture that 1400 miles. No car, right? No train, no motorcycle. A lot of it walking. Some of it on ships. Try and wrap your mind around that. When you think of of, of the the enormity of that ministry. The effectiveness of that ministry. The power of His ministry. And yet, how does He describe it? He says, Therefore in Christ Jesus I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That is very significant, isn't it? He doesn't say, you know, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, here's all I did. Aren't I a wonderful apostle? Look at all the sacrifices I made. Look at the power of my life. Look at all the Gentiles that came to Jesus. My, and I, I'm a wonderful apostle, all right? No, not at all. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, you will notice a very clear pattern. Chapter 14, verse 27. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Chapter 15, before the Jerusalem council, verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they they were received by the church. And the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Verse 12 All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done among them through the Gentiles. Every time Paul mentions something about his ministry, what does he do? He says, This is God's work. (laughs) By the grace of God. By the grace of God. We don't have anything to boast about, do we? Anything, any good that is accomplished in our lives or in our ministry is due to Jesus, due to His mercy and His grace. That doesn't mean that we're just puppets on a string. I mean, we labor and we strive and we seek to, to, to do the best we can, but it's all the grace of God. Our salvation, our calling by His grace. There's a third picture here. Besides a priest and a preacher, how about a pioneer? How about a pioneer who reaches the unreached? Paul was a man who had a great burden to minister in places where people had never heard the gospel. Verse 20, Thus I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see. And they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. And since I've been longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, I'm going to pass by and spend some time with you. So you get the impression that as Paul was wondering what was next for him, that he was always thinking of, of, of going to a place where Jesus had not been heard. Ministering in a place where the name of Christ had not been proclaimed. So he planned on coming to Rome, which is kind of interesting, because it was on his way to Spain. I'll stop there, and we'll be encouraged together, and you send me on my way, but my sights are really set on Spain. Because that was a place beyond where the gospel, at least at that time, had been proclaimed. Now, does that mean it's wrong to build on someone else's foundation? Hardly. First Corinthians chapter three, verse six. Paul says that, uh, excuse me, that he planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And that's exactly what God's plan was as Paul went out and and established congregations. Then there'd be others who would come in and and build upon that. So there's nothing wrong with building on someone else's foundation. I've been doing that for 17 years here. I didn't start this congregation. Otherwise, I'm out of of the will of God. There's nothing wrong with that. So God has called some to be builders on the foundation already laid. Some are called to be pioneers. Pioneers. Some are called to go out and, 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 and plant a church or go out as a missionary in a place where where the gospel has not been proclaimed and then someone builds upon that foundation. Last Sunday, Pastor Gary Jorgensen spoke here. He's been a planter. I think every congregation, I believe, that, that he's ministered in over the years has been a church plant. God has given him a special Ability in, in in that way. And then others come and, and build upon that. Our son David is building upon that now in, in, in Brainerd. And I'll be there actually next Sunday to uh, install him, which will be a special special day. But it's all by the grace of God, isn't it? All by the grace of God. So maybe God is going to call you to be a pioneer. Maybe you'll be a... A church planter. Maybe you'll be a missionary uh, sharing the the gospel and and laying a foundation for someone else to, to build upon. That was Paul's ministry. That was his calling. So we have a priest. We have a preacher. We have a pioneer. And then as you look at the end of the chapter, and this is also very vital, you have the picture of a partner. God's grace equips us to be a partner who requests the prayers of God's people. You know, when you think of the Apostle Paul, what what kind of a picture do you have of him? You have this bold, um, fearless um, man who could conquer the world all by himself. We kind of put him up on this this pedestal, and we, we think of him as this, this man, he didn't need anybody, you know, like Nike, just do it. He just went out and did it, huh? And yet if you read his epistles, you will find over and over again, and I think I'm going to do a series on this, all the, all the times that he asked for prayer. Why did he ask for prayer? He asked for prayer because he realized that this was a partnership. He realized that this was a ministry that God had called him to, but it was a ministry that involved the whole body of Christ. And we see that here in his call to the Romans. Verse 30, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. What's he saying? You need to pray for me. Strive together with me. Partner with me in this by praying for me. Now, that word um, strive together, it pictures really an, an intense struggle or fight. Would you agree that prayer can be a struggle? What would you rather do when you get up in the morning? Look on Facebook? Ooh, some of you do that, don't you? It's a struggle. It's a battle. And and, and Satan doesn't want us to pray. And we've got our list for the day, all the things we need to do, right? And boy, oh boy, you better better have that list checked off by the end of the day so we don't have time to pray. It's a struggle. It's a battle. And Satan does not want us to pray. And the word translated strive together, it's the word from which we get our English word agonize. Agonizamai is the word. We get our word agony from that. And the background of that, it's, it's really an athletic term. The agon was the stadium. The gymnasium. The place where the wrestlers and boxers struggled against each other. And so Paul is saying, okay, we're in a battle here. There's competition here. We, we, need, to, we need to approach this together. Striving together in your prayers to God for me. Here was not a man who thought, I can handle this. I'm an apostle. I've been called by God. Oh no. He said, we're in this together. And I'm asking you to pray for me. Do you know that your pastor needs prayer? How many of you know that? Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand talk to my wife, she'll tell you he needs prayer, right? Right, honey? She nodded like this. I'm surprised she didn't raise her hands. And yeah. Okay, so what do you pray for, for your pastor? What do you pray for, for your missionaries? Well, look at what Paul asked. you think it would be good to pray for our safety? you think every Bible-believing pastor or missionary is a target of the evil one? Would you agree with that? What does Paul say in verse 31? Pray that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Boy, how many times did he need to be rescued? How many times was he thrown in jail and, and beaten and stoned? And Did God answer those prayers? <laughs> God rescued him. Paul says, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth in 2 Timothy Chapter 4. Safety. How about praying that your pastor's ministry will be accepted? Did you know that there are some cranky people in some congregations? Did I say that? Yes, I did. One lady told me, you are just like your father and I didn't like him. So I said, would you... Quit beating around the bush and tell me what you really think, huh? What does he say in verse 31? And pray that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. You know why he needed to pray that? Because he had gathered gifts from the Gentiles, from Macedonia and Achaia. And he was bringing those gifts to Jerusalem for the poor saints, Jewish saints in Jerusalem. And you know how well Jews and Gentiles got along, right? Kind of like uh, Swedes and Norwegians, you know. So what was Paul's concern? That he would come with Gentile money and the Jews in Jerusalem would say, that comes from the dogs. You don't want that. Pray that my ministry as I bring these gifts would be Accepted. So even though he was a pioneer, he was concerned about the body of Christ still, wasn't he? Pray that my ministry will be accepted. And then verse 32, here's the third thing to pray for. Pray that he will be refreshed. So that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Some of our pastors really need Rest. They're burdened. Things are not going well, perhaps. They face challenges and struggles in their family, their own life, their ministry. They need to be refreshed. Pray that he, your pastor, will be refreshed. I don't think I need to tell you that ministry can be a challenge. It isn't always easy. It is a spiritual battle. But what do we rely on? We rely on the grace and the mercy of God. We go back to the beginning. What does Paul say? I'm writing these things to you. I've been bold on some points because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. That's the foundation. The gracious work. The gracious power of God. First Corinthians fifteen ten. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than them all. And then Paul is very quick to say, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Uh, not just the grace that saves us, but also the grace that calls us, the grace that equips us, the grace that undergirds us and gives us the strength to labor and strive and give of ourselves for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we are priests. We are preachers. In some ways, we are pioneers and partners. O God, may your work be done In us and through us. For the glory and the praise of your name, O God. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.